Yle Podcast. This podcast series is based on my experiences while making the documentary film Who Was Felix Kirsten? The film is about Heinrich Himmler's mysterious personal doctor and the revelations that followed. The reason for making this podcast is that after finishing the documentary, well, suffice it to say that the Felix Kirsten story never really went away. Episode 3. The Letter. It was a letter. Again. I had seen so many confusing letters already at that point. But this was a unique one. Was this the deep waters the British historian Sir Hugh Trevor Roper had meant on the phone? The letter went like this. For your information, 10th of March, 1945. Dear Mr. Himmler, the Jews are as uninvited in Sweden as they are in Germany. I have heard from medical counselor Kersten that you have decided about the transport of 5,000 Jews to Sweden. I don't like the idea because I don't want to transfer Jews. As I am officially unable to say that, I ask you to do it yourself. Medical Counselor Kersten has no authority to negotiate the liberation of Jews, and he has been acting here entirely of his own accord. I would be delighted if I could only transport to Sweden in the Red Cross buses Norwegians, Danes, or even Poles. By the way, your V-2 missiles are not hitting your targets in London very well. I hereby enclose a sketch from military targets in England. General Schellenberg has agreed to bring this letter to you personally so that it would not end up in the wrong hands. Sincerely yours, Bernadotte. The White Buses was an operation undertaken by the Swedish Red Cross in the spring of 1945 to rescue concentration camp inmates in areas under Nazi control and transport them to Sweden. Although the operation was initially targeted at saving citizens of Scandinavian countries, it rapidly expanded to include citizens of other countries as well. All told, an operational staff of about 300 persons removed 15,345 prisoners from mortal peril in concentration camps. Of these, 7,795 were Scandinavian and 7,550 were non-Scandinavian. Count Folk Bernadotte cousin of the Swedish king, was that time the head of the Swedish Red Cross and was leading this rescue operation. As the fortunes of war turned, they wanted to improve their image in relation to the West. And one way of improving it was to argue that the Swedes could do more for humanitarian causes. Professor Yehuda Bauer's opinion of this subject when you say that the Swedish government was trying to make up for something they did before 43, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the fact that they supplied iron ore to Germany, that they were using gold, 7,000 kilograms of gold, which they knew... Bernadotte is credited with initiating the White Buses operation. The release was negotiated with Himmler, and Felix Kersten played an intermediary role. As soon as the war was over... Bernadotte published a book entitled Slutet, The End, describing the event and taking the lion's share of the success of the operation. Alas, Kersten 
is not given his due. Feeling offended and slighted, Kerstin forges the above letter to Himmler, intended to cast aspersion on Bernadotte as being a covert Nazi sympathizer and an anti-Semite, and hoping that by doing so, Bernadotte would be disgraced and the credit for saving thousands of prisoners would go to him. I'm convinced that the document is false simply because uh, Bernadotte was an educated man. Uh, he was an official of the Swedish government. It's inconceivable that he would have written uh, a crude letter of this kind. Swedish journalist Ulf Brandel had investigated the case of the letter. Mr. Dixon was a man in Parliament, but he, he had also connections with the court. He was with the court a Kammerherre. So um, Kirsten went to him and showed him the letter in 53 when he wanted to get a decoration. And Dixon said, of course, it is, it is a forgery and, and, and must be a forgery. It didn't take long for me to find out that the letter was a fake, as it was thoroughly investigated by noted British historian Gerald Fleming, who was alive at the time. I contacted him, and he agreed to meet us, but didn't want to be recorded. In an historical twist later, that same forged letter was cited as an excuse for one reason for the assassination of Bernadotte in Jerusalem by Jewish extremists opposed to his proposed peace plan between the Israelis and Arabs. Back to the letter. He also compared them with letters and diaries that Felix Kirsten had written. He also sent the letter and other materials to Scotland Yard. The conclusion was inevitable. The so-called Bernadotte letter was written on the same typewriter as all other Felix Kirsten's letters and diaries. A letter, even if it wasn't written, could have represented uh, something which is uh, factual. And it is quite natural. And one cannot really argue with the Swedes that they, first of all, wanted to rescue Scandinavians. This is perfectly natural. By the way, Scandinavians included, as far as the Swedes were concerned, Danish Jews. They were also Scandinavians, okay? Or Norwegian Jews whom they rescued into Sweden. In their eyes, these were Scandinavians. Before Gerald Fleming handed us all the copies of the materials he had about the case, I had had a strange memory, or maybe I had been dreaming. I don't know. The memory is so vivid Gerald Fleming started to tell, off the record, about the complexity of the so-called white buses operation. He told us that just a few months before, he and a few others congregated for a negotiation in the office of the president of the Swedish National Archive. At the end of those negotiations, the president stood up, went to his desk, and pushed some buttons behind his desk. On the wall was a big portrait of Gustav V, or some other Swedish king, which moved off, unveiling a safe. The president opened the safe and showed the people in the room some documents which were supposed to be kept secret for a few decades more. Was I crazy? And he said that you have to conduct the manager of the Swedish National Archive. Okay. But you don't remember anything of that. No, maybe it was your dream. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> maybe this is like a third-level inception of Arthur Yeah, but that's interesting because I remember it in a very detailed way. No, definitely don't remember that. Yeah. 
I would say that uh, what struck me as most was his secretness. Everything was had to be classified, no recording equipment, no note-taking. I guess his stealthy attitude was a little bit surprising at the time. Yeah. Or maybe my mind had really been going too fast and my imagination had taken over. Anyhow, the memory had been so clear all these years. So I decided that later on I shall find out whether this is true or not, even at the cost of making myself look a little like a fool. We showed Arno Kersten the Bernadotte letter and Gerald Fleming's conclusion. Obviously, the case of the letter was familiar to him. And when I look upon him as a father, I cannot find anything really negative. If I look upon him as uh, in his capacity of a doctor or uh, as when he worked, all patients loved him. Anyhow, the fact was that it was a forgery and written using the same typewriter as every other one of Felix Kersten's letters and texts. At that point, I couldn't totally, if at all, support the original story about the good Finnish masseur and forgotten hero. What do you remember about our meeting with Lord Dacre? I'm sorry, Lord who? Hugh Trevor Roper. Trevor Roper, yeah. By then, it was already clear to us that he was also, during the war, he was all, maybe even after the war, he was also working for MI5. Whatever you're saying is going to support whatever the British intelligence, i.e. the... Uh, what could have been the reason for MI5 then to support Felix Kesten and his uh, version of the events? Well, we don't know that. If the story that Kersten told about himself like we believe, was a concoction. And it was supported by a prominent influencer and historian who also happened to be MI5, then we must assume, we can, we must not, but we can assume that British intelligence somehow benefited from this strange modification to actual events. Before we finished the film, one of our researchers had made another finding from the archive of the Reichsregistry of German doctors. There, we found Felix Kersten's doctoral card, which said that he was a member of the SS. In the original story, Felix Kersten had related that Himmler had offered him a membership in the SS and also a certain officer's rank, but that he had turned it down. But taking it from the other point of view, I mean, if, if you happen to be in Germany in the 40s and you get promoted to SS, it's a great honor. These are the elite of the elite and uh, of course they got a very, very nasty rap for some of the activities, but uh, in that time from Felix Kersten's perspective, it may really have been an honor for him. Yeah, on the other hand, yes, you can say so. But on the other, other hand, he was also kind of denying that he was not interested about it. Also in the archive was a letter from Himmler's adjutant Werner Grothmann addressed to Gerald Fleming, where he mentions that in the SS headquarters, the other staff had to work hard on preventing Kersten from making use of his uniform. He was supposed to be a civilian. So you don't recall that there were a couple of documents which 
we never found out that what they were representing. There was a one document which was about uh, capturing the Jewish property in the Eastern Europe. It was about Operation Reinhardt and, and how before it was handled by Special Action Kirsten. And we never found out that what was the special action Kirsten. Was it our Kirsten or was it something else? But you don't remember those strange documents uh, at all. Well, I do remember this particular document was something we were unable to solve. But obviously it pointed us to the same direction of Kirsten's story not being really on the level. Yeah. But it was time to finish the film. We had a premiere coming and all. Arno was in attendance, but he was not totally happy about the final result. Maybe because it was not reaffirming the original story told by his father. Increasingly, he wasn't that happy with, for understandable reasons. Well, he was telling that uh, the family didn't like the result of the film. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's not a surprise. We undermined the entire narrative. Well, I watched 20 minutes of the film again a few days ago, and I thought from a from a narrative aspect that we did a good job. It captures the attention uh, of, of what is the story about. There is a very interesting, how would I say, archetypal story involved, which involves individuals in war times trying to survive by whatever means possible. I wanted to leave the case behind me. The movie was broadcast on Finnish TV, but received mild reaction. It seemed the Felix Kersten story was interesting, but it didn't make him a standout Finn. But I didn't know that the story wasn't finished. There was more to come later. The podcast is directed and realized by Arto Koskinen. Written by Arto Koskinen and John Bernstein. The voiceover of Arto Koskinen is dramatized by Trent Pansy. Sound design and music is made by Kimmo Vantinen.